0: We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified For us, under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried. The third day, he rose again, according to the Scripture. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead his kingdom will never end. and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeded from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is, is uh, worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. we believe. In one holy, catholic, that is, universal, and apostolic church, we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you that you invite us into your house through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that when he said it was finished on the cross and when he handed over his spirit, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom and the way into your presence was made clear through Christ. We thank you that we can come because our sins are forgiven, and you have given us forgiven us also today for our corporate sins and our personal sins which we have committed in this past week so that we can enter with joy into your presence and confidence. And we thank you that we come to hold fast to the confession of without wavering, before, because he who faith, promised is faithful. And so now we gather together uh, to look into your word and to hear from you, and we pray that you would build us up in Christ, and that you would correct the errors in our thinking and in our habits and in our ways, and that we might become more and more like our savior this we pray in christ's name amen we have arrived to the longest section in first and second chronicles regarding the kings aside from david and solomon we are coming to the section about hezekiah it has four chapters the chapters are moving outwards, so in chapter 29, which we're going to look at today, we're going to be talking about the temple. In chapter 30, we move out to Jerusalem in preparation for, uh, for a celebration. In chapter 31, we move further out into all the land as gifts and sacrifices are organized, and in chapter 32, we move further. Out to the ends of the earth, as Hezekiah's fame is known because of his deliverance from Sennacherib. It's a tremendous section, and Hezekiah is a tremendous man. His his name means Yahweh strengthens. His mother's name is Abijah, the the daughter of Zechariah. Abijah means. My father is Yahweh. The actions of Hezekiah are going to prove to us that his father is Yahweh. And Zechariah's name is mentioned, and of course we don't know which person this is, but we do know what the name means, and that is Yahweh remembers. What's going to happen in chapter 29 is Yahweh is going to remember and he is going to strengthen Hezekiah to restore uh, the cult, the worship of God. And Hezekiah is going to prove to be a son of God. It's quite a section. It's really, in most senses, easy to understand. There's, one can read it and understand most of it. There, there are a few problems in the text when it comes to the offerings that are made as to how one views them. But all in all, it's quite easy to understand. Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz. And Ahaz is a particularly wicked king. It says at the end of chapter 28, Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of Yahweh and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem and in every city of Ju- Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked Yahweh, the God of his fathers, to anger. In just 16 years, 16 years Ahaz reigned. And in 16 years, the whole religion of Israel was changed. He shut the doors to the house of the Lord. He took all of the utensils, which is a word that has kind of a wide meaning, so it includes all the vessels that were used to carry out the work at the burnt altar. It includes all the utensils that were set on the table with the showbread, It includes the snuffers and the pinchers and the things for trimming the lights. Anything that wasn't a piece of furniture is a utensil. And he took all of them and he cut them into pieces. And then, in addition, having shut the temple up, he went throughout Jerusalem and he erected other altars And then beyond that, he went through the kingdom and he set up high places to offer incense to other gods. Thus, he provoked the anger of Yahweh. To understand chapter 29 and the rededication and the restoration of the worship of Israel, one has to think of how the Bible is built, how man is built, and what God is looking for. God is looking for, he made man for himself, to have a relationship with mankind. And so he made man in his image, male and female. We don't know what those are anymore today. He made them male and female, and this relationship became a picture of the relationship that exists between God and man. God is cast as the husband. Man is cast as the wife. And when you think your way through the Bible, you have to broaden your brain and think in terms of metaphors and symbols and pictures. You have to become British you ever listen to a British guy talk? Man, they can spew it all out. We're, we're just literalists over here. But they, they paint pictures for you. That's what the Bible does. And so as you work your way through the Old Testament and, and, and on into the New Testament, by the way, a, not, 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 a, not a division that's in the text, division that we've imposed on it. There is no book one and then book two. There are 66 books that all grow in order, and in the period of those 66 books, there are long periods of silence from God. We call one Old because it's built around the Old Covenant, and we call the other one New Testament because it's built around the New Covenant. But just remember, the New Covenant started in the Old Covenant ezekiel and jeremiah and if you read ezekiel chapter 36 you you realize that when the children of israel came back from captivity the new covenant started it wasn't ratified until jesus christ but it did start so i just want you to know the bible is one storyline it's not like you can come to Malachi, and you say, okay, everything back that way, that's all Old Testament, and we're not under the Old Covenant, so that doesn't matter anymore, we're under the New, no, the whole storyline goes together, and if you don't understand this part, you cannot understand the New Covenant. So, (laughs) that's not God calling, is it? So when we come to chapter 29, then, we have to understand there's something happening here that is a picture, and you cannot see it in English. This is, I mean, if you got out your concordance, and opened up, and you chased down all the words, you would, you would discover this, but most of us aren't doing that. But if you could read Hebrew, and you know, if you knew the vocabulary of Hebrew and you'd read your Old Testament, you'd say, "Oh,, I saw some of those words before." What context did they come in? How come they're brought up in this context? So we will not understand chapter 29 unless we understand that the tabernacle and the temple are both pictured. As a female human body. If we don't understand that, we do not understand what God is up to. So, Adam gets an Eve. God gets his Eve. And it's a tabernacle and it's a temple. But this tabernacle, and here in chapter 29, this temple is... A summation, a picture of all the people of Israel, and it's cast in the form of a human body. So, if you look at the construction of the temple back in Kings, you'll discover, you know, shoulder is used and words like that. It's it's like a human body. And so, what happens? A guy over here, a male. And a female over here, they get married, they come together, and the man comes to live in his wife, and life is produced. Here is this tabernacle, this temple, and over here is God, and he comes to dwell in his people, and what happens? Life is produced. That is why we say, I didn't think it up. It's Cyprian, then Calvin. That is why we say you cannot have God as your father if you do not have the church as your mother. Why? Because by the time you come down to Jesus Christ and you discover when he rose from the dead, he is the new temple, and he has a body. And all these people are parts of his body. And that body is pictured as a human being in one sense. And that body is pictured as a temple in another sense. And what happens? The church is built, and God, in the person of the Spirit, comes to dwell in his people. And what happens? Life is produced. Okay, so now, when you get all those pictures, when you put all that together in your head, you realize that what Ahaz did is nothing less than whoredom. We don't use that word much today because in our culture right now, immorality is absolutely nothing. Everyone's doing it. It means nothing. But in Israel, Whoredom did mean something. And it didn't just mean a prostitute. A girl that came from a marriage who was not a virgin and was discovered, was put to death because she committed immorality. No, she played the whore. It's serious stuff. And so the doors to the house are shut. They've turned their backs on God. They've turned their faces away from God. When in fact the temple was a place, if you were in a distant land and you wanted to pray, what would you do? You would turn towards the temple because there God is. But no, Ahaz shut it all down. And he decided that the gods of Amram were more powerful because they had defeated him. So he erects this whole new cult. Now you realize the word cult can mean something bad. Uh something that is uh, outside of Christianity, we'd call it a cult, or, uh, or a perversion of Christianity, we'd call it a cult. But the word cult is a word that, that means something like a religion. It's all, all the worship of God. And so you'll find theologians, and when you're reading their books, they'll use the word cult, and you are scratching your head saying, wait, wait, I thought Christianity was not a cult. Well, that's how they get it. So in, in, anyway, so in chapter 29 then, we start out, with a big problem for 16 years well it may have may not have been the whole 16 i don't know exactly when he has started doing all of this but within a 16 year reign we went from jotham who did what was right in the sight of the Lord and the worship at the house of the Lord. God's people are coming there and they're meeting with God and their sins are being forgiven and they're making sacrifices to God to at the end of of Ahaz's reign, the doors are shut, the lamps are out, the showbread's not changed anymore, there's no incense going up as a picture of prayer to Yahweh, and there are no sacrifices being made on the bronze altar. The system is dead. Now that tells you it doesn't take very long, and of course we, we can see something like this now. We, we've, saw, we've seen just this rapid change in our culture in, in, in a 15-year in a, in a period. To where now, if you're on uh, the side that believes in true male and true female, you are just becoming a weirdo. And, of course, the whole Bible's built around male and female, and if you don't know what male and female is anymore, you cannot understand the Bible. Isn't it interesting that when God went to creating, he, He made, you know, just this vast universe. And then... When he got down to the earth and he created human beings, he made them male and female. And you know what? You can't go out and buy nuts and bolts and screws and screwdrivers and tools without what? Male and female. You can't have a computer without a motherboard. See? Because these two fit together. Just like. God in the temple with his people. Uh, That's worth the price right there. So in chapter 29, it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah. Yahweh is my Father, the daughter of Zechariah, Yahweh remembers. I mean, there, there it is right there, right, right in the first verse, which we're going to, if I don't waste too much time, we're, we're going to get to the Lord's Supper. And what is the Lord's Supper? Yahweh remembers. Remember that. It's not we remember Him, do this in memory of me. No, it's a memorial. When we come to the table, Yahweh is remembering us. We are proclaiming his death till he comes, but our translations are just a little off there. Yahweh is remembering us. We eat, and once he do, well, he blesses us according to the new covenant. Verse 2, And he did right in the sight of the Lord, in sight of Yahweh, according to all that his father David had done. So there are only two times in in Chronicles that this is said. It's said with Hezekiah, and it says later on with Josiah. Well, there's something very similar said about Jehoshaphat, but these are the two expressions, and Ahaz is the one who did not do right in the sight of God like his father David. So big contrast between 28 and 29. This Hezekiah did what was right. And so he, he becomes, it, t- it just takes you back to David... And it takes you back to Solomon, the one who had the idea for the temple, the one who got all the building supplies together for the temple, the one who organized the worship at the temple, the one who stockpiled all the stuff for the temple. And then here comes Solomon, and he builds the temple, and he dedicates the temple, and he gives that great prayer of dedication. This is Hezekiah. he's the new David and the new Solomon. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of Yahweh, and he repaired them. So when it says first day, you know, over here, day one is coronation, that's probably not quite what it means. It means in the first full reign of his month, So let's suppose, you know, just putting it in our our calendar time, let's suppose he was inaugurated as king in August. Well, on January 1st, this is when he gets to work. The first full year, in the first, he comes and he opens the doors and he repairs them. Well, I suppose, in the closing of the doors, uh, Ahaz doesn't want people to get in there, so He smashes them. And now he comes and says, okay, life's going to change. Now, how can that happen? You have over here uh, one of the most wicked kings in the southern kingdom, Ahaz. And over here, you have his son. Now, that is what you call Yahweh strengthens. Because you know what? Most sons... Turn out like their dads. Not Hezekiah. Is it because he's such a grand man? Of course not. That's why he bears the name. Yahweh strengthens. Yahveh changed him from the way he grew up. Well, he had a he had a good mother. My father is Yahweh. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east side. So what we're going to get in verses 5 through 11 is a nice little speech that he gives to the Levites, which includes includes the category that we'd call priests and the category that we'd call Levites. They're the ones who do the temple work. The priests are the ones who can go into the house. The Levites work in the courtyard around the house. And, and other functions, but he gathers them there, and he's going to give them this speech, and it's done in a, in, a, in a chiastic way. On the outside, it's what he's going to do. In the middle, it's what Israel's doing, and in the very center, it's God's mad. So he says in verse 5, Then he said to them, Listen to me. I, I don't like that translation, because uh, it... it, it It doesn't carry over Deuteronomy, the Shema. It's the same word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one Lord. That's this statement. Hear, hear. This is all about the Lord our God. Hear, O Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of Yahweh, the God of of your fathers and carry the uncleanness out from the, uh, carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. Now, this is where you know we're talking about a structure that is to picture a woman. So when you read through Leviticus chapters 11 through 15, there's all kinds of uncleanness. But there's one word used for female menstruation. And it's this word. Now, when you got male and you female and they get married and they come together, life. But there is a period there where there can't be life. And in the Old Testament... That was forbidden. No connubial bliss during that period. Okay? Now understand. Here's Yahweh's house. It's the picture of a woman. And if he comes into her, what? Unclean. So just like you had certain rituals you had to go through, not just females, but males also. When when you become unclean for various reasons, when you become unclean, you have certain rituals you have to go through to to become clean. And so what the Levites and the priests are going to do is first they're going to consecrate themselves. Now, I don't know what every translation you guys are using, but there is one word in Hebrew. It's kadosh. And that word means holy to sanctify. We, we have the same thing in, 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 in Greek. S- same thing. You have a certain word that means to sanctify. But it's also translated to consecrate. So to sanctify you just roughly say is to make something holy. To consecrate is to dedicate to somebody's ownership. And uh, All God's stuff has been defiled now. His house and everything in it is all defiled. And, of course, God is a holy God. He is not going to touch that stuff. So in order to get things restored and back in order, what has to happen? There has to be a consecration, a cleaning up a little ritual. We're not told everything that was done except certain things that were unclean are going to be taken out of the courtyard and the temple and they're going to be thrown in the Kidron Valley and what happens just the same thing is going to happen to all this unclean stuff as happened to the prophets of Baal when Elijah put them to death and they threw them into the Kidron Valley and the rain came and the wadi wiped them away. And so down in the Kidron Valley, the rain's going to come and it's just going to wash all this stuff away. So the priests are supposed to consecrate themselves. You've got to clean yourself up. Look, for 16 years, you guys haven't been keeping up with stuff. You're not clean anymore. Clean yourself up. And all of God's stuff has to be clean. Mind you, the people are God's stuff too. He says... For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of Yahweh, our God, and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of Yahweh and have turned their backs. They have also shut the doors of the porch, the vestibule of the way into the house, and put uh, out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings as as ascensions in the holy place to God, the God of Israel. Now, you see, right here, if, if you, you know... You get, you get th- three weeks in a row of Caleb's fancy preaching. And then comes a gutterball preacher. You know, so I, I realize that all the stuff we've been talking about, you're probably not going to remember. It's the fancy stuff you remember. But we have the word unfaithful, maul. It's the measure of all chronicles. God finally sends them into captivity because of Moal, a trespass, a violation. Saul is the one who first started it, and they forsaken. And, and notice the things that are said. They've shut the doors. You can't come in. They turn the lights off. The lamps are, aren't kept burning. No more incense, no more prayers to Yahweh, and no sacrifices of ascension. And remember, an ascension sacrifice, we call it a burnt offering. In the Hebrew, there's no word for burnt offering like that. It's an ascension. It means it goes up. And guess what? Our ascension is who? Yeah, Jesus. He went up. And when you go up, you meet with God, and we're in Christ. And so right now, we're seated at the right hand of the Father because we're in Christ. He's our ascension. Well, all all of that Was where Israel was when Hezekiah came along. So he says in verse 8 then, Therefore the wrath of Yahweh is against Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object, an object of terror, of horror and hissing as you see with your own eyes. So God sees what they're doing and what he does is he becomes righteously angry and he punishes them. And he goes on to explain how he has done this. For behold, our fathers... Have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. So God says, Okay, you shut down my house. This is what I'm gonna do. Well, we saw that in chapter twenty-eight. Ahaz was embattled from all sides Philistia, Edom, Amram. Israel. And what happened? These people, including Israel, took Israel themselves. There were other hostages taken from the other countries. Israel themselves took 200,000 captives, killed 120,000 men. Well, they, under prophecy of the Lord, had to send the captives back from Israel. But there were other nations in chapter 28 who took hostages. Now, do we think that way today? So, this is not going to be politically correct, okay? We think of Ukraine at war with Russia, and we know that Russia has an evil leader. Friends, Ukraine is an evil place, too. And even though we say what's being done is not right, this is under the supervision of God. And one would have said, why would God use an evil nation like Israel to come against Judah? Why? Because Judah was evil. Why would God use an evil nation like Russia to come against Ukraine? Well, you have the answer, don't you? God is not a respecter of persons. And uh, don't mind you, I'm not for what's going on, but nevertheless, that is what's going on. So then in verse 10, he says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with Yahweh, God, Yahweh the God of Israel, that his burning anger may turn away. So, my sons. Do not be negligent now, for Yahweh has chosen you to, uh, chosen you, notice there are four things to stand before Him, to minister to Him, and to be His ministers, and to burn incense. Well, there are four things that were done. The doors were shut. uh, The lamps went out. The incense wasn't offered. And the ascensions weren't offered. Here are four solutions. They're going to stand before Yahweh. They're going to minister to Him. They're going to be His servants. And uh, I forgot what the last one was. At any rate, there you have it. So they're going to go in. They're going to consecrate things. And The worship system is going to start up again. But just notice what Hezekiah is up to. This is what I had in my heart to make a covenant. The word make is not the Hebrew, the Hebrew is to cut. And so when God makes covenant with people, He cuts covenant. He cut a covenant with Abraham, He cut a covenant with the children of Israel through Moses, He cut a covenant with David, He cuts the new covenant. It's this the expression. But you never see somebody saying, "Well, I, I, I'm going to make covenant. I'm going to cut a covenant with God." But of course, what Hezekiah is talking about is restoring the covenant that they had violated, because the danger is, if you read the Covenant in Deuteronomy, you get down to chapters 27 and 28, the danger is there's going to come a time when God is done. He's worn out, He's finished. He's going to throw his people out of the land and he's going to say through Hosea the prophet, you are not my people. In other words, male, female, what do we call that? Divorce. And of course, those are the terms that Jeremiah uses. He puts her away. He does take her back marvelously in grace. But Hezekiah wants to prevent that from happening. So he assembles the priests and the Levites, and you can look at the list of names there in verses 12 through 14, and you'll notice that there are seven groupings. There are the main three groupings of the Levites, then the Elozaphonites, who's just uh, uh, another subset uh, we don't have time to go into the history of that man. And then, and then three more men. And those three men are the ones who, it's the same names as David organized for the music. So you have the three, uh, the three families of the Levites, this one other family, and then the three families of the men are the groups of men who were brought to play cymbals and harps and liars and such things. And uh, these are the men who are going to gather together and they're going to go in and they are going to straighten out, clean out the house of the Lord. And so that's what they do. And they go up there and we're told in the text through 15 through 19, we're told in the text there that they go in and uh, on the eighth day, They reach the vestibule, the porch, and then the priests, because the Levites can't go into the house, the priests go into the house, and they bring out all the uncleanness, whatever it is, as the Levites and the priests have been gathering in the courtyard. they're, They're they're making a pile of all this uncleanness. And then what the Levites do with it is they carry it down to the Kidron Valley where it's going to be washed away because your your acts in uncleanness in Leviticus always includes water. You you wash yourself off. And so all this stuff is going to be washed away. And it's a picture of the house of the Lord being cleaned up, washed. And they come and they make this announcement uh, in verse 18. Then they went into King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed the whole house of Yahweh, the altar of burnt offering, the altar of ascensions, with all of its utensils, and the table of showbread with all of its utensils. Moreover, all the utensils which King Ahaz had uh, discarded during the reign in in his unfaithfulness, we have prepared and consecrated them, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. So all this stuff then is cleaned up, and I I just, it's too bad, time is running away. Uh, Utensils, so... You have the utensils that go all around the temple, and the ones with the with the with the altar are mentioned, and the ones that are with the table of showbread are mentioned. Now, what are the utensils with the table of showbread? They're jars and pitchers and bowls. What's in them? Wine wine, and, anybody, beer. If you don't believe me, well, come see me afterwards. This comes from Numbers chapter 15. And, of course, nobody drank it. All of that stuff's poured out because it's God's stuff. And you pour it out as if God is drinking it. By the way, I'm not advocating drinking. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says. And the uh, utensils that, that uh, Ahaz discarded and he cut them into pieces and they prepared them and they're all set before the altar of Yahweh. What are those? Well, the word utensils are used here. Later on of the things like the cymbals and the lyres and the harps, they're called instruments. Guess what? It's the same word in Hebrew. So apparently what Ahaz did is he cut up the instruments of music. It's like somebody coming over to our piano and just beating it to a pulp so we can't play it anymore. Well, I can't play it anyway. But And they've cleaned it all up and they've prepared it. And in uh, uh, verse 20, then the king gets his princes and they all go to meet at the temple. And they brought with him seven bulls, seven rams, uh, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a st- for a sin offering, for the kingdom, the sanctuary, and Judah. So, seven, 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 seven. We're told, and we're given four different offerings. And when you look in the commentators now, now they they can't all agree on what's being done here. So. We don't have time, so I'm just going to tell you flat out. There's a certain order that things are done, and you discover it in the book of Leviticus. You don't quite discover it here. But the way things are done is when you come to meet with the Lord, the first thing that has to take place is deal with sin. That's why we have confession up front in our service. We didn't used to have it that way. We'd be listening to the message of the Lord and we'd all be unclean because we hadn't confessed. So we put confession up front because the first thing that happens when you meet with the Lord is you bring your sin offering. Then after that, you have burnt offerings, tribute offerings, and peace offerings or fellowship offerings. And so these sevens here are probably all to deal with the uh, sin offering. All, all, I mean, all four groups are dealing with sin offering. And in a sin offering, of course, you take blood and you splash it against the altar. And that is blood dripping down, and that is the presentation of the blood that shows that a life has been taken for your life. And consequently, God forgives your sins. So they, uh, they, they do all these sin offerings. And on the last one, the male goats is where it's specifically said they laid their hands on the goat's head. And, of course, that's the transfer of me to this goat or the transfer of my sin to this goat. And then the goat is killed. In this case, the transfer is for all of Israel. Uh, as it's going to say in a few verses, because Hezekiah had appointed it for all of Israel. What does all of Israel mean? Well, you've got two sections. You have the southern kingdom, and you have the northern kingdom. And both kingdoms are in a big mess right now, and so Hezekiah has all these sacrifices, not, not just made for the people he rules over, but made for the people who are ruled over by another king in the northern kingdom. All these sacrifices are done. Well, our time's out, so I'm just going to summarize then. In, in verses uh, the verses that follow, there are two different things that happen. In verses 25 through 30, this is the startup. And after the sin offering is done, then you have burnt offerings. And what Hezekiah has done here is he's organized it all just the way David set it up. And when the burnt offering is it's an ascension. It's an ascension in smoke. You take the animal and you cut the skin off. Because when when you have an ascension offering, you have a substitute. You lay your hand on, you're identified with the ascension. And you are going to go up to God in smoke. It's all going to be burnt up. And so what's ascending? Well, the animal's ascending in smoke, transformed into smoke, and you you are that. It's your representative, and you go up, but when you go stand before the Lord, there is nothing you can hide, like it says in Hebrews. All things are open and laid bare to him with whom we have to do, and those words are for being naked. You can put your clothes on, but God can see right through your clothes. You can hide your sins, but God can see right through it. And so the animal is skinned, it's naked, and it goes up to Yahweh. When the burnt offering is going up, music is going on. The priests are blowing trumpets. their are harps and lyres and cymbals, and they're singing away, and they're singing, well... Just look down at verse 30. Says down, they, they sing until the, the, the sacrifice is burnt up, but it says in verse 30, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials uh, ordered the Levites to sing praises to Yahweh with the words of David and Asaph the seer, so they sang praises. Well, it says in my translation, with joy, but it really should be translated, until joy. And they bowed down and they worshiped. Okay, so you come into your meeting before the Lord and you're all downcast. And, you know, and uh, somebody called me Grumpy Pants this morning. You're all grumpy pants. And, and you're coming before the Lord, and you're supposed to be happy as can be. Well, how do you, you know, you tell you could snap out of it. And you know good and well you can't snap out just like that. Something has to happen. And so what do they do? Well, the burnt offering's going up, and the music's going, and they're all singing until they're joyful. Now, you know this. We got the blues. Why? Well, because when you feel blue and you play the blues, you feel more blue. Isn't that right? And when you play stuff about Yahweh and you're not joyful, you keep playing until you get joyful. And so that's the order. Play until you're joyful. And notice, notice, just, just as a, and apologetic for Craig Nelson. What are they singing? The very words of David. Ooh, I'd like to take another hour on that, but I can't. But I just have to say one thing. Sometimes some people, by singing too many verses, aren't getting filled with joy, they're getting filled with grumpiness. So something's wrong because the more you sing, the more joyful you're supposed to get. Now, I grant you, if I had to sing Psalm 119, I might get grumpy. (laughs) Most of the psalms aren't that long. Some are a little long. But something needs to change, not about the psalms. Something needs to change about us. The more we sing about Yahweh, the happier we should get. Well, so that's what's happening. It's, re- it's restarted, and they're all joyful, and what are they doing? They're putting their faces down to the ground and worshiping God. Well, the last section, then, is just about, okay, now you have consecrated yourselves. Only this word, consecrate, is different it's the word for ordaining a priest, but he's talking to the assembly there in verse 31. And, and he's, the word is, your hands are full. In other words, you've consecrated yourself like a priest, so now bring sacrifices and unload your hands before the Lord. Of course, we don't bring sacrifices of animals anymore, so what do we come with? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us it's the fruit of lips that confess, praise his names. And so we come to church and we're, 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 we're bringing our hands, but this time our breath. And uh, you can see how that fits ascension offerings. It's his smoke going up and then added to the smoke that's going up is life's breath of people singing praises to Yahweh. So in the last section, he's saying, come, unload all your sacrifices. And he talks about all the burnt offerings and all the peace offerings. And one is you going up to Yahweh and communing with him. The other is, oh, 3,000 consecrated uh, lambs. What are they for? Well, they're for the congregation to have A big, big celebration with lots and lots of food. So Christians are right to eat together after all, aren't they? So all this in the end translates down to us, this table. Zechariah, Yahweh remembers, we're going to come eat at this table. We translate it, do this in remembrance of me. No, translation should be do this as memorial because Christ is remembering us and when he remembers us he pours out his blessings on us this table is a means of grace you come in faith and you know what the scriptures say Yahweh remembers look at Israel Abijah Yahweh is my God Zachariah Yahweh remembers, and you get down to the end, and the people are all full of joy. Why? It's because God has remembered them through the person of Hezekiah, the one Yahweh strengthened. And they're so amazed that this all happened so suddenly in 16 days well, maybe eighteen, twenty, in 16 days. 16 years have been wiped away clean and everything has started fresh. And that's just how it happens in the Christian life, isn't it? We go through life and we tend to get in messes, make messes, and we don't know the way out. And we come with God's people and we come and hear his word and we come to the table and all the mess, the filth of it all that stained us is wiped away, clean. And we're surprised. How can God do that? Well, we know how he does it. He does it in the person of Christ. Stand with me. Right now, Father, we just want to thank you for your wonderful word, and we thank you that we are Abijah's. Yahweh is my Father, and you are Zechariah. You remember us, and in remembering us, you give us all your gracious gifts, the forgiveness of sins a word from God, and fellowship with you at the table. Bless our time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.